We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. I'm your host, Stefan Lacoe, and I am joined, as always, with the beautiful and talented Matt and Jordan. How are you guys doing today? I'm the talented one, right? <laughs> no, no, you're both, I mean, you're both beautiful clearly. and you're both talented. <laughs> both I'm okay taking... Were... <laughs> beauty shouldn't be on the table for me. <laughs> oh. How was y'all's Just covering, weekend? Covering all the bases. I mean, I, I'm good. I had a pretty solid weekend. I got real trolly on Twitter, so that's always fun. I um, I actually attended a wedding on Friday night and uh, met dozens and dozens and dozens of my girlfriend's extended family. So that was uh, an interesting experience, and I just caught the it's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees tail end of the Washington Utah game which I know we're going to talk about but 
Doesn't look like I missed too much. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, I, you know that expression, the pride comes before the fall? I uh, feel like I'm living proof of that right now. I've been so high on my picks, talking about just getting to the flow, and the reason why I was uh, struggling early was just I didn't have enough information, but now that I knew what I was doing, I was, you know, slam dunking it. I uh, I only got one game right this week, uh, so that was that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, and frustrating to say the least. Nevertheless, we shall prevail. That hot streak—I don't know how you did, Matt—but my uh, my hot streak, I've completely leveled back out. So, but you know, it's uh, we're getting close to the second season, so we can we can rally here with the bowl games coming up. I continue to be super sharp. I went three and two. Well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was for the most part. I thought the games that I mean, the games that I was like geared into i thought were pretty entertaining pretty good at least for a while some of the final scores didn't really show the level of excitement in the game uh but i thought i thought overall it was a pretty good weekend of football outside of of course the uh, pac-12 championship that i think had maybe a quarter of the stadium was was full like it was it was empty it looked like it looked like a high school football game or something like that it was just terrible and the play on the field didn't really give much more to uh, to make people wish they would have gone. Did you guys? I mean, Jordan, you said you caught caught the the tail end of it. Matt, did you did you get to see some of this game? I mean, I watched a little bit of it, but I'm going to be honest. I was more interested in uh, Buffalo because um, they were one of my bonus picks, and I love watching Anthony Johnson. Uh, and that game was just better. So Buffalo and Northern. Uh, Dang, why am I? I think it's Northern Illinois. Was that who they lost yeah, to? Yeah, Buffalo, Northern yeah. Illinois. Yeah, that game was better, so I just watched more of that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I I was watching the Washington game, and you know it's Pac-12. I gotta pretend to care, right? And I found pretending <laughs> to care even difficult. And well, Jordan texted, and you're like, oh, and I think you had just caught it right as the defensive touchdown took place, and that was like really the only play of real magnitude in the game outside of the pass interference call that wasn't called at the end of the game. But yeah, there was so zero offensive touchdowns. I mean, there's only 13 total points, but I, I do remember, I obviously I took the wrong side here, but I'm pretty sure that I did say it was going to be low scoring. I know that might not have been going out on too uh, far of a limb there, but two defensive minded teams being low scoring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, good on Washington. They got it done, but like, like I said, from the from the the portion of the game I saw, it wasn't it wasn't too much to be excited about. There's no takeaways offensively from this game. Washington kind of proved what we thought, which was they're more talented. Um, I'm kind of bummed we all missed this pick. Um, I mean, we had uh, six plus six for Utah. For the way the game played out, I almost feel like we were on the right side that it should have ended closer than six because it wasn't by any means more than a touchdown win but yeah I, I can't sit here and say i spent a lot of time watching this game it was not super fun i think it was just one of those games i mean the yards per play metrics for both teams were relatively close and it was just like you said that defensive score that was the difference and i honestly i kind of agree i think that i still kind of think that utah was the right play but it variants like that in 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 when when one play can completely flip a game there's just not a whole lot you can do about that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to me, the most important part of the game was when Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, was introduced. 
and there was about 49 seconds of very loud booing that could be heard. <laughs> and it just felt very appropriate because he's doing a terrible job with the conference. Uh, they're, they're impossible to watch, even though like not only are games played so much later just because it's the, the West Coast specific time zone, but then they're always on the Pac-12 network, which very few people get. Uh, they're, they're very obscure. I mean, the championship game being 12, 12 hours away from both both teams and it's i know utah wasn't really maybe expected to be in there but washington was and it's just it's just the conference is a joke it's run as a joke no one watched the game no one was at the stadium major changes need to take place for uh for the pac-12 to get back to where it needs to be and i mean i i just don't think larry scott's the right guy for the job um i hope he is replaced soon but um i don't want to get too uh too crazy here on my pac 12ness so I'll move on, but it, it was, I thought, uh, interesting that they were booing so intently. It was it was quite enjoyable. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so having seen Washington now um, kind of get some, I mean, beating Utah, they were favored, but it was a big win, obviously. The week before that, beating Washington State. They're kind of on a nice roll here. So Washington is playing Ohio State after winning quite a few games, big games here. How, how do you feel that will go. I mean, their defense, their, their, their defense looks great. Jimmy Lake's been doing an awesome job as a D coordinator. Uh, do you think they'll be able to slow down Haskins? No, and I feel bad for Washington fans. This is the perfect matchup for Ohio State. Um, assuming they come out motivated, which has been the issue with them, I guess, all year. I don't really like making that excuse for them, but assuming they come out and play the same way they played against Michigan, I feel real bad for Washington fans they're going to get the score run up on them. They don't play an explosive enough offense. Um, and Ohio State's going to score a lot of points. So I, 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 this is the perfect matchup for Ohio State. And it's they're going to do what they do every year, which is disappoint all regular season, give the playoff committee a reason to not put them in, and then have a bowl game where they, uh, quote-unquote, show them why they should have been in. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State played pretty well against Michigan who has one of the best defenses in the country, Michigan state who had an excellent defense. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't necessarily, I I'm not ready to say that it's going to be a blowout, but, um, I think an initial read on the game, I would say that Ohio state does have, uh, an advantage. Looking at the the spread for this one, I, hopefully I'm not stealing any of your little, uh, your, your picks for later, but if I am just slap me, but, uh, Ohio State's favored by five. The over-under is uh, 58. I, I feel like uh, the over-under is a tough one for me. I don't know which way to lean on that, but I would I would lean towards taking Ohio State because five points isn't that much uh, when you think about what their offense can do. Um, but it'll, it'll be an interesting interesting one to check to check out. And you know, the Rose Bowl is always super awesome. Washington hasn't been there for a while because last time they were ranked high, they ended up going to the playoff and, and not to the uh, – Rose Bowl. So it's good for them. I'm happy for them to be there. But yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Matt. I think it could be um, could be could be a long day for for Husky fans. Who knows? I, I've been wrong before about this Ohio State team and when I thought they were going to do well. So but more often than not, they've been doing just fine. So uh, let's get into the SEC championship game. Alabama 35, Georgia 28. Good God, this was so much fun. So I said I was being a troll on Twitter um, this weekend. This was the game I was a troll. I spent the entire first half calling for Tua to be benched because um, he and it, I was half joking because obviously they're not going to bench him if he was even capable of moving. 
But there was a certain point, and Jordan, I was te- talking to you about this. I might have actually been in our group text. Tua looked broken. Like, there was nothing he was going to do right. There was nothing he was going to do. And the truth of it is, I think the luckiest thing that happened to Alabama was him getting his ankle stepped on by an offensive lineman. Because I truly believe that if he if he had stayed in the game, they lose that game. He did not look right. And even though they were coming back, that touchdown to Jalen Waddell was mostly saying, hey, look how good Jalen Waddell is, not Tua looks good. So I think Alabama caught a lucky break, and they happened to get out of there with a win. I thought Georgia was going to put it on them when the game started going. So I am slightly disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think all those are those are all great points, and I, I pretty much agree with all of that. And I I was really kind of pulling for Georgia, and I was hoping that they were going to stay aggressive in the second half, which they just have shown a penchant to not do. Um, but I, I feel like a broken record here, but Jake Fromm played really well. Oh, and you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stop reminding us of your, your from your from love. I, I don't know like how else to say it, man. Like I, it's, it's interesting because of how poorly, you know, well, he was banged up, but how poorly Tua played in this game. And it was almost like once, once the announcers couldn't keep praising Tua because of how he was playing on the field, they were forced by no, you know, by not their choice, but they were forced to be like, oh, yeah, look at this Jake Fromm guy. He's not too bad. I'm like, bro, he's been this way. He, This is just who he is. I mean, he's an efficient quarterback. He's good. He will play in the NFL. And then you also have DeAndre Swift, who – is he the RB1 in 2020? I mean, I know that we talk up that class, and there, there's going to be someone else we, we mention here pretty shortly. But, <laughs> I mean, he looks amazing. He, he is so dynamic. And, and Matt mentioned Jalen Waddle, who is just emerging, true freshman. Uh, he's obviously going to have uh, competition for targets uh, next year with basically the entire wide receiver group coming back. But, I mean, he's... He's just dynamic. So, I mean, it was really just a really good game. I was a little bit upset with how it ended because I thought Georgia was in a good position. But there's just so much talent on the field. It's just incredible. Yeah, I thought it was it was pretty awesome just because of the hurt situation. I was telling a good friend of mine who's not much of a college football fan. I was like, okay, because he was over at my house. We were supposed to go out for dinner that night. And it was like the third quarter, and I was like, "Yeah, people are gonna have to come here. I'm not. I'm not leaving my house. <laughs> I'm. I'm canceling all plans, and and not gonna miss the uh, the ten minutes on the drive over to the restaurant." So uh, I was just telling him like, "This is what happened last year, and how Tua came in and saved the day, and then just how the exact opposite thing took place." And it was just awesome. I I just was so happy for for Jalen to be able to come back and have this moment because. Yeah, I mean, these are moments you you live for. It's just, it was just incredible. Uh, big picture though for the game, I was. I mean, if you look at the, if you just showed me the numbers and you didn't tell me who goes with what, uh, I definitely would have thought you showed me one team throwing only you know what was it two less than two hundred and fifty yards, fifty percent completions, two picks. I, I I don't think that's the team that wins when you look at the other side where he got three touchdowns, three hundred yards passing, and just like an awesome game. But stats don't tell everything. And I just couldn't believe, like you said, Jordan, that they went away from the game plan. They got so conservative. They were afraid to lose. And, and you could just feel 
the momentum shifting ever so slowly. And then at some point, I think when they were, when, when Alabama came back and they were only down seven, I, I was pretty convinced Bama was going to come back and win that game. Uh, they didn't do it as quickly as I thought. I thought they were going to score the next two possessions and they didn't, but you could just kind of feel it happening. And yeah, Bama hangs on. They, they advanced the playoffs and they're going to have their hands full with Oklahoma. I, I'm so excited for that one. Me too. I mean, you say that like they were lucky to be down by 14 in that first half. Like Absolutely. that fumble into the the fumble into the end zone where he immediately recovers it. You talking about is one of the luck. Yeah, that yeah. was one of the luckiest things I've seen. And then, I mean, Tua could have thrown three more picks. Like it, it got, it was not good. And can we talk about Georgia's fake punt? That was the dumbest thing I've ever... I mean, I mean what the hell, man? Like, the problem is, is like I like the idea of trying to get Fields out onto the field for like a creative play. The problem is, is that when you line up Justin Fields in the backfield on a uh, on a punt play, they know the ball's going to him. There's, it's just... Yeah, it, it's just insane. Like, it, it drives me insane when I see stuff like that because I... I it's it's just incompetence. I I don't understand like how anyone can rationalize that as a good plus EV decision. I I just I can't understand. It wasn't. It. I mean, I, we joked. We were talking about this, but like that's the worst fake punt since the Indianapolis play a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was the it was incomprehensible. Like there was no justification that will ever make sense. But. I don't know. My big takeaway from this was in the year of vertical passing, when college football has seen this overhaul where teams that used to be run centric switched over, it was really nice to see JT Barrett win them a title. I mean, Jalen Hurts. JT. Yeah. <laughs> He's exactly the same guy. Freudian, that is JT Barrett. Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. It was a great game. I, I'm. I was supposed to be rooting for Alabama, but honestly, Georgia is a more fun team than Alabama, and I'm now convinced Alabama is nowhere near as good as people think they are. I kind of was watching with that same that same perspective. I was I was like, I know I should be pulling for Bama because I I didn't want them to get in as the four C like backdoor their way into it, and I was afraid they would with just one loss. I was like, okay, Bama just needs to win so that everything's clear. No, you can get in. Uh, but I just couldn't help but root for Georgia because they were so much fun. They're playing with so much energy. I love their style of football, and yeah, it was it was man. I just can't be- I can't believe what a uh, bulldog fan must be must be going through. <laughs> just two years in a row having just that that heartbreak is is pretty difficult. Let's, yeah. Let's move on to uh, one of the games that wasn't close at all. Clemson forty two, Pitt ten. Uh, I even managed to get this one wrong. Uh, I got them all wrong. Um, Matt, you were on this one. Uh, what did you think, other than the fact that Trevor Lawrence is unbelievable? Well, what's funny is, is he went 12 for 24 with two touchdowns for 118 yards. He has a QBR of 38 and a half. I, Trevor Lawrence is amazing. This was a game of Travis Etienne just destroying the world. And we were talking about Swift as the possible RB1. I think there are probably three candidates, and next year is going to be – actually, there's probably four. But between him, uh, between ETN, Swift, J.K. Dobbins, and Jonathan Taylor, next year's running back, Cal S, is arguably the most disgusting thing we've ever seen. But, I, I mean, I had a pretty decent feeling about this game because, I mean – 
Pitt's entire offense was based on the run between Darren Hall and Quadri Allison. Um, and they were facing the best run defense in the country. So even though I thought Pitt was probably a better team than they were given credit for, this was the nightmare matchup for them. So I'm not really surprised by the outcome. And I don't know. I, I think Clemson's really good. I think I, I think the most surprising thing about this game when I looked at the box score especially was, just like you said, we, we, we went into this game knowing that Clemson, their defensive front is just vastly superior to what Pitt can put on the field. Um, and we also saw Clemson look a little bit vulnerable the week prior uh, in the secondary to the pass. Now, Kenny Pickett, you can debate how good he is, but – he was four for 16 for eight yards. Pitt passed for eight yards in this entire game. I don't know if that's crazier or the fact that they rushed for almost 200 yards in this game. They averaged 4.6 per carry. Now, granted, with a 42 to 10 score, those numbers don't necessarily mean much. But that was just incredible to me. And and, you know, Matt, you hit it right on the head. Uh, Etienne is, was who I was alluding to as, as the, you know, other maybe RB1 in 2020. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you with that class. We've, we've talked a lot about it, but, you know, it's, it's really lining up to be something special. At every position, I could really go on and on. 2020 looks like my favorite class in a long time. Yeah. The one interesting thing is I do actually, we aren't going to talk about him uh, if we get into prospect or when we get into prospects later, but Quadri Allison actually has had quietly a pretty solid year. Um, I don't think he's an early round draft pick, but I do think that he ends up getting drafted in the late rounds, which at the beginning of the year, I would not have said because at the beginning of the year, it looked like he had been usur- had his job usurped by Darren Hall, but he kind of had a nice resurgence this year. So he's just a name to keep an eye on. And he had he had over 1,100 yards as a true freshman in 2015, 11 touchdowns, and then obviously uh, played behind James Conner. So I, I I completely agree. I think I wrote him up a little bit earlier this year in in one of the when the Debbie breaks, but. Um, He's he's an interesting prospect and one that isn't really getting talked about very much yet. And then on Clemson's side, uh, we already talked about ETN, but my fa- two of my favorite receivers they have uh, Hunter, not Hunter Enfro, uh, Justin <laughs> uh, Justin Ross uh, averaged thirty five yards per catch he had, and usually sometimes those numbers are skewed because of like one long play. He had a thirty eight yard catch and a thirty two yard catch. Love it. Love seeing him get utilized because he is really, really dynamic. And then T. Higgins, when those two are the primary targets, that offense is a lot of fun. So um, I this is this is going to be a really fun team to watch. And I, I I'm not going to give it away yet, but I think people have counted them out and they shouldn't. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that in a little bit. Little uh, little tease right there. I like it. All right. We have a Red River shootout, but not really part two, maybe. Uh, Texas 27, Oklahoma 39. Uh, all of us thought Texas would keep it close. I think all of us thought OU would win, though. Uh, OU won, and at the end of the day, it wasn't it wasn't that close. What did you guys think of this one? I mean, you say it wasn't that close, but I kind of felt like the first— it, it was kind of, a for me, a tale of two halves because there was moments in that first half where it kind of felt like Texas could take over the game, and then— they have the – I hate their offensive coordinator a lot. Um, 
and I also kind of hate Sam, uh, hate Ellinger, because he's super inaccurate. But they go weirdly conservative against this team just to try and keep Oklahoma off the field. When honestly, they could have destroyed their def- or their defensive backs the entire game. No one was going to stop Humphrey or Johnson. Um, and that's exactly how they beat them earlier this year. But I mean, Colin Johnson went eight for 177 in a touchdown. And honestly, he probably could have put up 250 right. on it. He had a, an eight-inch height advantage over the cornerback covering him. It's just unfair. If Ellinger puts the ball anywhere near him, he's going to come down with it. And it just felt, I don't know, it, I can't believe that they didn't manage to put a po- more points on this Oklahoma defense. And credit to Oklahoma. They went out there, did exactly what they're supposed to do. Truthfully, I think Kyler Murray won himself the Heisman on this day. And, I mean, Oklahoma's offense continues to look really good. Can't wait to see them play against Alabama. Hope they feature Kennedy Brooks more than Trey Sermon. <laughs> I have to do it. I have running backs I don't like. I'm sorry. I mean, you're allowed to be wrong. No one's gonna <laughs> no one's gonna hold it against you. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey, they were targeted 24 times combined. I agree. There were just there were just times when Ellinger and again, I don't know. It always comes back to his shoulder and his health. And I don't know if we can necessarily totally discount that because I still don't think he's right. But especially early on in the game, I mean, there were two, I, I want to say it was on the first drive, two instances where it was a complete breakdown from Oklahoma in the secondary. I mean, people running opposite directions, just letting people run free down the seam. And he missed two easy touchdowns in that first drive. You know, who knows? Oklahoma might still win. But, it, you know, it, I kind of agree. Like, the, the way to attack Oklahoma, I think, is is clearly through the air because they have real problems in the secondary. And Texas hasn't really been that great running the ball this year. But I will say Oklahoma's run defense did play pretty well. Um, they held Texas under four yards of carry, um, which was important because, like, like we've we said um, last week before the game, the only reason Oklahoma doesn't just completely shell everyone is because their defense is so terrible. And if Oklahoma can put some resistance at least on the ground, and and make teams have to throw the ball, um, you know, it's it's better than being a sieve both ways, I guess. But you know, the defense is not fixed. Um, I, I kind of agree with Matt. I think that this is more of a little bit of ineptitude on Texas for the reason they only had 27 points more so than Oklahoma making any significant strides on the other side of the ball. Yeah. One of the things I thought was uh, pretty great is the first time these two teams played Matt, I believe you called for uh, Calcaterra to have two touchdowns. Uh, and he actually got those two touchdowns this game. So you, you were right. It just was a little, a uh, little premature on your part, but uh, that last touchdown catch of his was unbelievable. And that was to kind of seal off the game uh, in the fourth quarter, and I mean, what a baller throw and catch! That was that was pretty incredible. Uh, to me, the game kind of, in my in my view, ended with that safety. Um, Ellinger didn't even see the guy coming; he just got smacked in the end zone. And uh, yeah, that was pretty brutal. I I did think that uh, little little Jordan Humphrey's uh, touchdown return on the kickoff that came after that that touchdown, uh, <laughs> if that would have uh, not got called back for for the holding call. That would have been pretty uh, pretty amazing to see what could have happened after that, but it never did happen. So uh, as it stood, the uh, 
the Longhorns actually were shut out during the fourth quarter, which is uh, is pretty surprising that uh, OU was able to go a whole quarter without giving up a score. Uh, don't well, think that's happened very often lately. I find it funny because when they were trying to make when everyone was trying to make their case for Oklahoma, they showed that safety play. They were like, oh, and they say Oklahoma's defense is bad. I'm going to put this out there. I don't care if you get one sack in a game. That doesn't prove to me that your defense is good. <laughs> right. But there were a lot of media outlets showing that play like, oh, look how great Oklahoma's defense is maybe turning into. Maybe this was – maybe they were capable all year. Those people have no idea what they're talking about, so I, I had to at least bring that up. And as for Calcaterra, you you talk about the, the second catch, and there's no denying that catch was amazing. That first one, he had a defender literally holding him, trying to hold him back. He just muscled his way through it and made another amazing catch. So I, I was – somewhat concerned about him when he hasn't hadn't broken out this looks like what we are hopefully going to see from him moving forward so keep an eye on him cd lamb balled out too uh we should we should mention him um he played really well and he's he's turning into a really 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 dynamic player as well obviously benefiting from the offensive system and playing with kyler murray but he he is looking more and more like a legitimate NFL prospect and you know we're going to get to see him again next year so he's one that I'll be watching pretty closely next season as well anecdotally when my wife heard him uh heard them call out his name on a play she thought that was a very weird nickname for a player CD Lamb. <laughs> and it would be and it would be no I I remember what I was going to say well yes Oklahoma's defense should not be praised as anything uh, resembling good. It is interesting that now two weeks in a row, their defense has, has been able to score points for them. That ended up being a big uh, change in momentum, or at least really important for the for the uh, game. Uh, last week, it was those two, two defensive scores against West Virginia, and then the safety this week. So while you're absolutely right, people shouldn't be talking about them as having turned a corner or become um, a good unit on the field. They have been able to to put some points on the board which has which has definitely helped helped OU in these uh, in these important wins. That's a good point. I like that. All I'm right. Fine with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not, there's not much. I mean, it's hard to predict anything like that moving forward. Uh, you can't assume they're going to be getting defensive scores uh, in the playoff, but it's definitely helped them get to this point. So, yeah. I, I, I overall, I mean, I think all of us agreed that OU should probably have been the fourth team in. I don't know if I'm assuming too nope. much for you guys. Nope. UCF? Yeah, they should have been. UCF? No, they should have been. <laughs> I'm fake salty. I'm not really that upset about it. Do you think if uh, McKenzie didn't... Uh, no. Okay. You don't think that UCF would have had any, any the de- chance? The deck is stacked against them, man. It's, yeah. it's just... I honestly don't even think it's possible with the way that, the, the way that it's set up right now, the system that we have i because they can't do anything else i mean they they you know they they don't lose and they and they don't get in so i mean it just seems like it's basically impossible at this point our, our college football playoff is pretty much the power 5 team or a playoff of the power 5 conferences and Notre Dame and that's really it exactly yeah yep yeah. all right let's get into the last one northwestern 24 Ohio State 45. This was the one I got right. Yay me. <laughs> Jordan, what did you think of this one? 
Uh, well, I mean, I thought that Northwestern hung pretty well. Um, it was uh, it was a close game into the third quarter, and then um, Haskins, you know, just decided to take over and completely explode, almost throw for 500 yards, uh, completed 83% of his throws. You know, he's the, the this Ohio State passing game is is extremely explosive. It's probably the second best passing game in the country behind Oklahoma. Um, and they're what's that better? I said best. Uh, I, Oklahoma's I offense as a whole, as a, Oklahoma's offense as a whole is better. I think o- Ohio State's passing offense. Well, everyone isolated. listening out there, you know, this opinion is coming from someone who has no vested interest in either <laughs> None. of the teams. Totally Matt might have some vested interest, so just keep that in mind. But, it, I mean, Dwayne Haskins is phenomenal. They have, they have a really um, deep, talented wide receiver core. Not necessarily any one guy who stands out, but they all, you know, play a, an equal share. And I think that that works really well in their system. Um and yeah, I mean, it, I was encouraged, I guess, from what I saw from Northwestern, although the score, you know, it was a three touchdown um, margin at the end, but I honestly didn't even know if it was going to be that close. Um, so I do want to give some credit to Northwestern. Um, you know, they clearly don't have the same type of talent as Ohio State, but I think that they do maximize what they have almost as well as any team in the country basically every single year. Um, and their freshman running back, Isaiah Bowser, Bauer, Bowser. Bowser. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with what they dealt with, uh, injury wise at the running back position this year, uh, I'm actually pretty excited to see him moving forward. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to take over in the backfield starting next season. So he, he's something to look forward to for Northwestern fans. Um, and it was, you know, Ohio state did what they needed to do. Yeah, it was 21-24 at one point, uh, midway through the third, I think it was. And I wasn't nervous for Ohio State, but I was at that point, I was very confident that they were not going to be uh, invited to the college football playoff. And uh, I thought I thought it was good for them though to uh, to keep on to keep on pushing forward and and, and get a, a win and a very comfortable win when all was said and done. Uh, some of the players that jumped off um, the screen for me, Paris Campbell again. I think he's really. He's had a nice end to the season. Uh, we weren't hearing his name or seeing his name quite as much early on, but he's really um, he's really had some some nice games here. And then uh, Olave, I do not know how to say his name. You can correct That's me right. if I'm okay. That's no, Chris you, Olave. You, yeah, you called him out last week uh, for scoring his first touchdown and having a really great game, and he backed it up again with a really solid performance. So yeah, I think Jordan, what you said, spot on. This receiving core is really really good, and Haskins, I think, is is one of the main reasons why. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what they do uh, moving forward. I'm excited for this team for next year as well. It'll be interesting to see who is all coming back. Matt, yeah, your thoughts? I, mean, I, I know you're going to have a few thoughts on the games. I have none. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, this this offense could get a pretty big facelift this offseason, so I wouldn't get your hopes up too much about seeing a lot of familiar faces. From what I'm now hearing, which bums me out it sounds like haskins is leaning towards going pro um i think he could probably use another year but at the same time i wouldn't blame anyone for trying to be compared to um daniel jones drew Locke, will greer ryan finley rather than tua and jake Fromm. so 
I, I think there's a chance he may end up leaving just based on it's easier to be a top five pick when you're the clear cut, the most potential quarterback, at least. Um, my thoughts on the game are Ohio State's defense did kind of what I expected in the first half, and I was pretty excited with what I was seeing. I thought that they were, other than the one really long running play by Moten, um, they were doing a nice job, not really allowing anything explosive to happen. Uh, they were keeping Thorson kind of from doing a whole lot. And I think as they started scoring, initially it looked like they had Northwestern getting away from what they should have done, which is Northwestern needed to run the ball. And when they started trying to force the ball through the air was when Ohio State kind of was putting it on them. In the second half is pretty much when the wheels fell off at the beginning because Northwestern immediately marched down the field and scored and then like scored again very quickly. So Ohio State didn't do what they needed to do. They really did. If they wanted any hope at getting in the playoff, they needed to win this game by 50. And even that probably wouldn't have been enough based on uh, the final rankings. But I, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of I have a lot of still big issues with the team. They can't run the ball effectively. J.K. Dobbins, I believe, was a he was well over six yards per carry last season. I think he's down in the fours. Um, Mike Weber, he's, I I don't think he needs to be averaging six yards a carry to be effective. I think he's probably a guy that I'm happy if he's getting four because he is more of the traditional power back. And it was weird. They tried to use him a decent amount in the passing game in this one. And almost every time they did, it was a, a negative EV play. So I don't know. I I'm as much as I'll complain because I like seeing my team in the playoff. I am okay with this team not being there and as I said I kind of feel bad for Washington fans because this is the type of team that is when it is this talented when you put them up against a team that's probably overmatched athletically it's when they shine yep let's move on to the bonus round I want to start because I actually got mine right and I didn't have very many wins this week so I need to take them where I can I picked UCF uh, minus three against Memphis and for a while there I was sweating. I was sweating at halftime. It was 38 21. And with a backup quarterback being down 17 points, I did not really see uh, a path for them to get back in the game. But UCF did just that. Uh, I, I, I said I thought they'd lean on McCray. He ended the game with 206 uh, yards rushing and a touchdown which, you know, was was definitely very helpful. And he also had 30 yards receiving. So he, he definitely did his part. I thought Mac did a, did a fine job. He didn't throw any picks. He kept his team uh, competitive, obviously, even when they were losing and then found a way to bring them back and get the win. And it was a really impressive victory for them, I thought, especially just given the just the turmoil with their, their star player going down injured in, in such a brutal way and then being down big and having to fight their way back. Uh, it was a really fun game. I, I didn't get to see every play. I was kind of flipping back and forth, but but man, that was that was a fun ride. It was it was it was fun having some uh, some rooting interest uh, for UCF, and then seeing them get it done was was pretty awesome. Yeah, I uh, I, I whiffed on mine. Marshall lost by t- by three touchdowns. Uh, you know, it's the results are what matter, but I will say that I think that the game was potentially closer than. And the final score would indicate uh, Marshall was able to run the ball really effectively, seven yards a carry. Uh, they just couldn't do much through the air, and they turned the ball over twice. And uh, Virginia Tech took good care of the ball. So, 
you know, obviously Virginia Tech probably has more talent on the roster, but um, it was kind of a weird spot. I thought it might be a place for Marshall, but uh, ended up going the other way. And uh, this was a game I whiffed on as well. I was on uh, the Buffalo-Northern Illinois game. I, I still honestly can't believe Buffalo lost this game. I at about halftime was talking with another college football nerd like myself, and we were trying to figure out what Power 5 divisions Buffalo would win. I had convinced myself they would win the Pac-12 South, the uh, ACC Coastal, and uh, the Big Ten West. And then all of a sudden, after being up 29 to 10 in the second half, I looked up at the end and they had lost, uh, outright <laughs> lost. So not only did I lose my uh, Buffalo minus four, they outright lost the game. And I was sitting there just baffled. Positive takeaway from this game. Anthony Johnson's a monster. Um, the, literally the only red flag, uh, the only red flags on him is he didn't dominate junior college in the way that you would hope and that he's old as dirt. Um, he's going to be probably one of the oldest receivers in the class because he's a redshirt senior. But things trending right now, it does look like scouts are seeing him as a late first-round pick. He is a very, very fun receiver to watch, and he has been a, um, a one of the leaders in dominator rating. He was one of the highest guys last year, and he on a per-game basis, I believe he was up there again this year. Yeah, I I'm excited to... Uh to get into some of our prospects uh, later today and then uh, on our next show as well, talking about the receivers and the running backs. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to remind all of you guys that you can support the Rotoviz Radio Network and our 10 shows per week on Patreon. And by doing so, you get exclusive access to a Rotoviz Live, our weekly Sunday morning video show answering all of your fantasy questions. The season is coming to an end. Playoffs are beginning. This is the time you need as much information as you possibly can get. So be sure to sign up. Patronships start at just $5 per month and provide exclusive access to the show. So that, that means you're getting your four shows per month on top of the 40 podcasts for just 5 bucks. So become a Rotoviz Radio patron today and join the exclusive community of listeners. Access premium content and do your part in helping the network to grow and to continue to produce high-quality, industry-leading programming. And speaking of exclusives, as a loyal listener, you get 30% off on Rotoviz NFL Podcast right now, and that's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com backslash podcast. Get ready for that playoff push and gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. So you get an amazing value and you support the podcast network. Once again, that's rotoviz.com backslash podcast. Awesome. So before we get into the running back position, guys, what are your, your basic thoughts on on the final four that we have this year. I, I think that all season we were, we convinced ourselves that Alabama was this amazing team. And the big thing I thought going into this Georgia game was that they hadn't been tested by a real offense yet. They had been there. We'd been pushing up their defense because they had shown a bunch of success against teams that were not really good offenses in this first round. They are going to take on probably the best offense we have ever seen. Kyler Murray should win the Heisman. If he doesn't and Tua wins it, it's honestly a travesty because Kyler Murray has been that spectacular. And with what he is going to do with uh, with his legs and through the air, if Marquis, uh, they are, I mean, they should be able to push them. If Marquise Brown isn't healthy, I'm a little more concerned and think this game could kind of turn into a bit of a blowout because they could 
isolate or focus in on C.D. Lamb and take him out of the game. If Brown is healthy, I think there's real upset potential here. I, I mean, it's going to be a weird-looking final score for a playoff game. It could be like 65-60, to 60, but hey, Oklahoma has shown us several times this year that they are capable. And then I said mentioned it earlier, I don't think people should uh, write off Clemson. I know that against South Carolina, they didn't look great. And I, you can't really gain much respect by destroying a pit team that nobody respects. But if Trevor Lawrence plays well, then their offense can be as good as anyone's. And their defense is, I would say, the best of any of the teams in the playoff. If they play Alabama, I think they're a tough matchup for Alabama. And I think they have the right tools to beat them. So are you yeah. so are you taking OU, if I were picking OU right now, over I will, Clemson in the final? No, I'm taking I, I would take Clemson over Alabama, but I think Alabama gets very tested in the front first round. Especially, yeah, I, I kind of agree with pretty much everything Matt said. I think that Tua's health will be important. I know that Jalen Hurts came in and played well, won the game, but I don't think we can necessarily say that they're a better team without Tua, a healthy Tua. Uh, so we'll see like how, you know, what his status is. I agree. I think that Alabama-Oklahoma game will be extremely exciting. I think it'll be high-scoring everything that we kind of like. Um, and I'm not – I really don't know if Notre Dame can hang with Clemson. To Like, I know that Notre Dame, you know, probably overperformed our expectations, definitely overperformed our expectations this year. But Clemson is really complete and dynamic in so many different areas on both sides of the ball. Um I, I kind of agree. And I think Clemson does present an interesting challenge for whoever wins uh, the other semifinal. I'm, I'm hoping that it's Clemson, Oklahoma. I think that would be really interesting. So, I mean, I'm just going to I'm just going to pull for that result because I think that's the game that I would like most to see for my own personal uh, satisfaction. I like how in the year of Alabama, our first two people are just really not thinking Alabama is going to be the one. Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to cruise. But, you know, I can I can I can. Uh, I can keep a positive thought for something else. <laughs> the the most surprising thing to me is that Alabama is favored by more than Clemson is. And to me, that's surprising. I think Clemson will have a much easier time with Notre Dame than Bama will have with OU. I do think it'll be Bama versus Clemson uh, rematch in the finals and uh, from a couple of years ago. And I think that uh, I think Bama wins it. I, I think Tua is going to be healthy. He's got enough time. Uh, to get his legs back under him, and I think he's going to cruise, and he's going to show everyone why he did deserve to win that Heisman Trophy. Uh, we've been talking about how awesome Tua was all year. I don't want to just forget about the beginning half of the season, and I know Kyler's been awesome as well, uh, and I honestly would prefer that OU wins, and OU has an awesome performance, and Kyler Murray's you know, the Heisman winner. That would all be great. That would be fun. A lot of my friends are Sooner fans, so that'd be fantastic. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Bama will... Uh, I don't think they will win by 14. I think it'll be much closer than that. The interesting number for me in this game is the over-under is set at 79.5, which is just a monster number, and it's terrifying to even think about uh, what those offenses can low. do. I know it feels like it, but that's both teams scoring 40 points, So, which you know I would expect to happen, but you never know. These games can get crazy. Uh, teams can tighten up. Well, I, I'm excited to see what, uh, yeah, what takes place. Head coach battle old versus the old old versus the new 
and uh, but but both elite coaches. So it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. I think most people are are looking forward to that one over over the Cotton Bowl uh, with Notre Dame Clemson. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I really think you know with the lines being what they are, um, picking the spread, I'd go Oklahoma and Clemson. But I think Bama ends up winning. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. But let's get into the running backs. You guys have some good. Uh, fuel for us getting ready for next year's season always always good to get a head start on looking at these prospects and so we're going to dive into some of the running backs uh so matt you want to start off for us so i'll start us off with a guy i've talked up a lot this year which is benny snell um the one thing about benny snell is that his efficiency is going to scare you at times and it's because he has never had a season over six yards per carry which is somewhat concerning but he is the most true workhorse in the uh, in the class. He has three or two seasons over two hundred or over two hundred carries, and was third in rush attempts in the country this year. He also had a couple of times, or he had returned eight kicks in the year, which is kind of a nice thing to see out of a prospect because it shows that the coach trusts his versatility. Um, he's five eleven, two twenty three. Um, pretty young prospect. He's still under 21 years old. And the one big thing for him is that he doesn't, he's not going to have the elite speed. I think he's projected to run somewhere in like the four sixes. But one thing he does have is he's in, he's an agile player and he has that quickness. So he's a physical runner, has a proven workload and has quickness. That's kind of the type of stuff I like to see if he is a day two pick. I'll be pretty excited by him as a fantasy prospect because he's the type of guy that I wouldn't be surprised to see a team plug him in as the workhorse right away, where I don't think I can say that about a lot of the backs in this class. I think he might be the type of guy that would fill in nicely for the now gone Kareem Hunt, which is going to be, that would be the best landing spot for everyone. But I think he would be a nice fit. Yeah. I have a couple questions uh, on Snell for you. So he had 17 receptions this this season, which was by far his highest. Uh, do you think he has good enough hands to work in an offense like that, like the Chiefs, for example? That number's a little bit low. Um, I tend to like my ideal number is somewhere over two receptions per game. So at just over one and a half per game, you're a little bit concerned. Scouts seem to like his hands. They think that he's a capable pass catcher. So I don't know. It, that might be something that needs more development. I mean, Melvin Gordon didn't catch passes in college, and now he's a very capable receiver. So yeah. I don't know. He, I, I don't think that's going to be one of his strengths unless all of a sudden the senior bowl – or not the senior bowl – in the workouts that he just shows up and is this amazing catcher. I do think that he's probably a day-two pick, but he's not going to be the most exciting one. No, but he's definitely a name to remember because, like you said, if he ends up on the right team, he's got the talent – to be able to put in those workhorse type numbers, which is what we care about. I mean, in fantasy football, <laughs> a lot of times just being able to handle the workload equals immense value. Uh, so yeah, so he's definitely a great a great name to to keep an eye on. Thanks thanks for that one, Jordan. You got one for us? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna take a look at Devin Singletary, uh, running back from Florida Atlantic. He's five nine, two hundred pounds, uh, twenty one years old, and if we're talking about production. Um, especially over the last three seasons, this is where this is where you need to go if that's your thing because 
over the last three seasons, he's been the most productive running back as far as yards, um, as far as rushing yards in uh, FBS. He has 4,287 rushing yards in three in three seasons, uh, 66 rushing touchdowns, a monster sophomore year last year, three, uh, 301 carries, uh, over 1,900 yards, and 32 rushing touchdowns. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he he ranks really high in their missed tackles forced metric, which. Um, should correlate pretty well to elusiveness on the field. He's one of six running backs this century with 4,000 yards and 60 touchdowns on the ground um, in a career. He only had six receptions in 12 games this season, uh, which was a pretty significant decline from his previous two years. Uh, he has 51 career catches, so he, you know, it's not necessarily a, a big worry, but it's something to keep an eye on. And something else that I noticed, too, um, is that he's kind of struggled against Power 5 schools. He's averaging just 3.5 yards per touch in small sample size, but three career games against Power 5, uh, you know, higher-end defensive talent. So he may get knocked for playing lesser competition, but like I said, as far as production is concerned, Singletary is probably the best in this class. And he's declared already? That I'm not sure. He's still a junior um that's something else to keep in mind when we're going through these guys not you know at this point december 3rd when we're recording all these guys who may come out have you know perhaps may not have declared yet but these are uh, basically i think we just kept this to draft eligible right not necessarily already entered yeah i just wasn't sure i hadn't heard anything on him but just hearing yeah. his numbers to think that you know he could potentially even come back for another year and just the the collegiate numbers he could put up are, are pretty astonishing if you play college fantasy football and he's there, or and he does come back, he's definitely a high pick. Yeah, I'll jump in with, I'll actually change up the order I was going to go in, but I'll go with a guy who actually just declared to uh, recently, and that's Justice Hill, who will be sitting out his bowl game, it appears. And he's an interesting prospect because he does have a little more you, of the receiving. I thought you were going to say because he's the second best running back on his team, but but continue. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've i said that before and I will I say it again. I think he probably was the second best running back on his team, but that does not mean that he's not good. He His reception numbers dropped off pretty significantly this year. He had 31 in 2017 and he dropped all the way down to 13 this year. So just over one per game. I think a lot of that has to do with the emergence of Chuba Howard. Yeah. I, I that's a fair thing to say that a guy who is more of a an all-purpose back is going to take a little bit away from him. But that season where he had 31, he's averaging almost a little over two and a half per game. I think I, my math is right. That's a pretty solid number for a college running back. They're not really that many guys who really get to that three number. Um, that was about where Saquon Barkley was at last year, was uh, between three and four. So... Two receptions per game is actually a pretty good indicator that you are a capable pass catcher. Justice Hill is 5'10", 190, uh, just over 21 years old. He has two seasons over 200 carries, and he probably would have gotten there this year if he didn't miss some time this season. In 2017, he had the 11th most carries in all of college football with 268, um, and he turned that into 1,657 yards from scrimmage and 16 touchdowns. He's expected to run in the four fives, so he's not going to be this blazing speed guy. But it's a, he's a guy that the athleticism isn't going to be a concern. I kind of see him more as a secondary or part of a, a committee type back. But he's an interesting player who 
will get looks before the end of round three, but I, I do think that his ideal role will probably end up being somewhere in a team with another running back already there. I'll just I'll just keep it rolling. Um, I, I took Bryce Love next. Um, he's listed at 5'10", 202, 21, uh, 21 years old. What we, you know, Bryce Love's best uh, attribute, I guess, on, in his portfolio is by last season as a junior when he ran for over 2,100 yards, 19 touchdowns on the ground. He's just the ninth running back this century to run for 2,100 yards in a single season. And he also averaged 8.1 yards per carry last year. Um, and he was the only running back since 2000 to average at least eight yards per carry with 250 carries. So pretty special season. Uh, decided to come back for his senior season, which has been basic, basically a disaster. Um, his efficiency has completely fallen off the map. He averaged just 4.6 yards per carry this year. Uh, saw less carries, saw less work, played in only nine games. He's been banged up this year, and you know there was some question as to whether he was kind of just saving himself for the draft, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But his his final season, his senior season, is not what you like to put on paper. But I do think it's important to remember what he did in 2017 when he was basically the most explosive player in college football. Uh, I think that his straight-line speed is probably his best attribute. Uh, assuming that he is healthy come combine, I think that he will run really well. And I think that that will probably boost his stock back up and maybe make some people, you know, sort of turn away from what they saw this year. But I do think it is important to note, you know, just the drastic decline in production and efficiency this last year. And he's about a, he's about a one reception per game guy. Wasn't ever really utilized very heavily in the passing game so it's another kind of bit of a red flag but uh i think it'll be interesting because i think he's kind of just floating around like out in the ether right now because of how poorly he played this year but i do again i do think that his stock will jump back up assuming he runs well which i don't really think will be much of an issue yeah and i mean for all these juniors who are thinking about coming back uh they should look at what happened to him this year and use that as a as guidance to uh, go ahead and declare for the draft quick trivia question you may know this already uh how many 100 yard rushing games did bryce love have this year i'm gonna assume zero because you're asking <laughs> he had one he had one in week t- the week is the second game week two he had 136 yards and other than that uh, he did not get over 101 game, which is just crazy. But yeah, he he is a definite definite example of why sticking around is not always the best thing. But yeah, I agree with you. I think he needs to have a, a, a great time at the combine in order to uh, to get his stock back up. And I mean, as much as we're criticizing him, he's still probably. I mean, there are still plenty of scouts who see him as a first-round pick just oh, based yeah. on his explosiveness. So, Definitely. I'll go to a slightly less explosive player um, and a guy who I think is going to struggle in his bowl game, assuming he plays, and that's Miles Gaskin. I've talked about him a lot this year, um, and for as much as I said that Benny Snell is the workhorse of this class, I was lying. Miles Gaskin is the is the one kind of proven workhorse guy. He had four seasons over 200 carries, and with one of those years being over six yards per carry, uh, 59 career receptions with two of those years being at 19. So, again, he's he's on that low end of uh, 
just over one per game on a couple of years. Um, and that's probably what his level of skill is. And since Jordan did some uh, since 2000 numbers, Miles Gaskin is only one of 11 running backs to have over 5,000 career rushing yards. He's five foot 10, uh, 193 pounds, and he's he's almost 22 years old because he is a senior. He's just an interesting guy because he he's another one of those ones that he's just proven that he can stay on the field um, and take a heavy workload without really missing much time. And he did miss some time this year, but still managed over 200 carries. So he's the kind of player that when he's on the field, he just gets the ball a lot. So interesting name to keep an eye on. I don't think he's I, I do think he probably falls into day three sometime, but. He'll just be an interesting guy to keep an eye on because in the right situation, he's, I mean, he'll have value. He's going to be an Oakland Raider. Heard it here first. I mean, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he, I think he'd do well in that offense too. I mean, not that very many people do, but if anyone could, I think he, he would, he would fit it well. Now I, I like asking, I got to watch him a lot living up in Seattle for the last few years and yeah, what a, what a workhorse back. I mean, always, I mean, like you pointed out 200 plus carries every every year do you think that with that much wear on the tires that he could be uh, a liability in the nfl not really uh it's he wasn't a guy that was out there aver- like derrick henrying it where he's averaging 40 carries per game since he was a middle schooler yeah 200 is kind of the right number that i like to see i really when they start pushing up and one of the things that made me nervous about i'm sorry i just blanked on his name singletary was he had a 300 carry season and that when I see a number where they actually eclipse 300, I get a little bit concerned that their coach was pushing them a little too much. But I don't know. Didn't seem like Gaskin really missed that much time. I don't feel like he's – I'm not actually concerned that his body is too beaten up yet. Yeah. But I don't see a guy that sticks around for 10 years in the NFL. He probably is a one-contract con, uh, one kind of guy, but he'll have value during that one contract. So shifting – from someone who had a billion carries to someone who um, has been used pretty sparingly over four years in college. And I took Damian Harris here because we didn't want Matt to just go on uh, fire and brimstone and just <laughs> tear him down left and right. And wanted to give him a fair trial. I did and give him a nickname. You did. And <laughs> you called him trash bag. And I just want everyone to know that that was strictly from Matt. You can find him on Twitter and let him know how you feel about that. But I actually think, you know, I think Damian Harris is kind of interesting. His his production is, you know, the raw stats aren't necessarily going to jump off the page, especially given the amount of games he's played. Um, his his production is depressed because of the surrounding talent and the uh, the pretty equal touch distribution that they generally use at Alabama with their running backs. He he has 47 career receptions. Uh, not you know I guess he's a, an able receiver. He just wasn't used very much in that role. Um, he's 5'11", 215 pounds, so he has decent build, compact. He'll be 22 years old uh, by the time the draft happens. A couple things to note. He had two seasons with a uh, thousand yards rushing, with uh, seven yards, averaging seven yards per carry, which is pretty impressive. Um, but he did benefit, I will say, from running behind one of the best offensive lines in the country almost every single year he was there. Alabama's consistently one of the better um, run blocking teams, and it's also interesting to note that he, he hasn't averaged uh, over ten yards or over ten carries per game in any single season. So he's been used sparingly. 
I think there's something to say, you know, for not being completely worn down if you're okay with with a, a you know a smaller production profile. And some of the things I read from scouts, they note his economical movement and his balance as pros, but also they note what they see might be a lack of elite agility and speed. So I think his testing um, at the combine will be important. I'm not. I'm not as negative on Harris as Matt might be, but I also kind of question what his true upside is. If he can be like, you know, uh, a game changing prospect, I don't necessarily think so. Um, But, you know, he's someone who will probably get drafted in the middle rounds. Um, But I'm, I'm interested to see how he runs at the combine because you know, if, if he does have sort of a lacking athletic profile, then I think that will probably tell us a lot of what we need to know. Yeah, I mean, we all know my opinions on Damian Harris. So, um, And going from a guy who didn't really get the ball a lot, we'll go to a guy that was pretty heavily used, and that's David Montgomery at Iowa State. Coming into this year, I actually would have told you Montgomery was the top running back in this class, even though he lacked the yards per carry that I really like to see. He was a guy that was very explosive on the field. I mean, and that's weird to say when you're averaging only four yards per carry, but he was a very versatile player. He's 5'11", uh, 216, over 21 years old, so he'll be 22 before the season starts next year. One season over 200 carries, but he'll likely surpass that in the bowl game this season. And he has 65 career receptions, including a season where he averaged almost three or three receptions per game. He's been off the straight line speed of uh, Bryce Love, but he's also not going to go out there and disappoint anyone. I actually don't know where he's going to get drafted. I think that there's a chance that he's the first running back taken if he does well in all the draft process. I think there's a chance he falls into the late third round. So he's kind of got a pretty big window for me of where he could go. But he's an interesting prospect. And in Dynasty League rookies, rookie drafts, because there was so much excitement about him coming into this year, I would guess he'll end up uh, taken in the first round. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you. I think Montgomery is someone who a lot of people were really high on coming into the season. Um, maybe underperformed a bit. Who I think is perhaps the most explosive runner in college football is Daryl Henderson, running back from Memphis. He's a junior. So another guy that... You know, as of right now, I don't believe he's made a decision, but he's another underclassman. Small, compact build, five foot nine, two hundred pounds. Uh, had a little bit of trouble finding his birthday, which is August nineteenth. So he's either twenty one or twenty. But he was in the just, class of twenty sixteen for high school, so it it's sort of hard to tell if he was on the older side of his class, then he'd be twenty one point um, three. If he was on the younger side, then he'd be just a, just over twenty. So. so either yeah, so either way, he's not he's he's age isn't a concern. Um, if he does come out this year, um, he's not overly uh, old for a prospect, and, and it's just really incredible what he's been able to do as far as efficiency. His two seasons with averaging over eight and a half, eight point six yards per carry, excuse me, um, and he's the only player according to uh, Sports Reference. The only player this century with multiple seasons averaging over 8.5 yards per carry with at least 130 carries. That's so he's just crazy. been, yeah, it, his, like, there are so many cool stats, like, that you can find on Daryl Henderson. It's just wild. And, and something that maybe is a bit underappreciated is what he's been able to do as a receiver. 
Um, he has 61 career receptions, averaging 12.3 yards per catch, and has eight receiving touchdowns. So this dude is dynamic with the ball in his hands, and I really think that his what he's shown as a receiver kind of sets him apart. Um, he's someone that, you know, he, he played really well last year as a sophomore, obviously high yards per carry, but he's really come on. He's second in the, he's second in the country in, in, in rushing yards this year, and he's just on an upward trajectory. And I think that if he does declare, does come out this year, goes to the combine and runs well, which I think that he should, I honestly, like, it, it sounds crazy, but, I mean, he's he's nudging upwards into that very upper echelon of RBs in 2019 class, in my opinion. Yeah, right? you, you're talking about him's getting me super excited, that's for it's sure. It's wild, man. Like it's, Honestly, yeah. right now, he is my, he's probably my running back one in the class. Yeah. And to go from a dude who has all the stats in the world, I'm going to go to a guy whose uh, profile is just going to go incomplete for me. <laughs> and that's Rodney Anderson. Oh, man. I loved the way uh, he his profile looked coming into this year. He's he's 6'1", he's 220. He's going to be on the older side. He's already 22 years old. He had 188 carries for 1,161 yards and 13 touchdowns last year. And he also added on 17 receptions for five more touchdowns. He was starting to show that he was as versatile as anyone in this class, and he was going to be a part of the most fun offense in college football. And then two games into the year, he got injured. And it's such a bummer because I I make jokes about Trey Sermon and how I don't think he's good, and that's really just because I thought Rodney Anderson was that good, that I thought that they were missing out on a guy that did everything. And I don't think he's probably going to test at the combine based on recent history with running backs. I think it's unlikely that he will. So if he were to have tested, I would have expected him to test fairly well. And he could have trended upwards to being a second round pick now, unfortunately, because he does have this very incomplete profile, only 200 carries for his career um, and no season over 200 carries and he's coming off a pretty serious injury, I do think there's a real chance that he's a guy that starts to slip in the draft and potentially becomes a value for a team. I, I want to like him more. Um, I, I really wish he hadn't gotten hurt this year. But because for the same reason why we all say that Bryce Love should have gone out last year, I'm happy he did make the decision to say, I know I'm coming in with an incomplete profile, but I'm going now because I need to go get that first contracted. Yeah, it, I think you you might be spot on. I could see him slipping a, a bit by being a super valuable draft pick for whatever team does take a take a shot on him because the skills are unbelievable. You're right, he doesn't have the stats to back it up, but when you see him on the football field, he's a dynamic player for sure. Yeah, we missed something in college football because he wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, we got to see a little bit of Brooks, but I, I would have rather seen Mr. Anderson. And for all the jokes I've made about Trey Sermon, he is very, very good. He'll be a very good player next year. He's just not the all-around back that Anderson was. Right, right. That's good. I think those are some some really great names to keep keep an eye on. And of course, we'll be doing another uh, we'll do another show. I imagine right after the draft, uh, once we know where a lot of these players have landed, to give you better analysis of what they can do with their with their new teams. But for now, you can already get a more in-depth look at, at each of their each of their bodies of work uh, in college football so far. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just a good perspective to have uh, going into, into the off season, kind of getting a head start on, on knowing who these players are. And, and on our next episode, we'll, 
We'll get into some of the wide receivers, which uh, I know Matt and I, I'm not sure about you. Give Jordan. me a lot of time. <laughs> I know Matt and I love this wide receiver class. How, how, I've heard a lot of people kind of dogging it a bit. Where, where do you stand, Jordan? Um, I'm probably not to middle, but I'm probably somewhere uh, in between. I, I think that there is, I think there is some high end talent. Um, and it's like, like you, like you said, you guys are really high on it. So I, th- and, and maybe the consensus is a little bit lower. So maybe there's a value opportunity there for us. Yeah. Great. Well, we're, we're, we're going real late. I just wanted to give both of you guys about 20 seconds to tell me uh, just one college football, one of the bowl games you're, you're either really excited about or, or one that we should be picking. Um, well, early on, I think that the uh, North Texas-Utah State game... Screw you. Oh, is that what... <laughs> My bad, man. No, go it, for it. In the New Mexico Bowl, uh, December 15th, which is the first day uh, bowls begin, I think that has potential to be a really interesting game. The number I see right now is Utah State uh, minus 10, which I feel like is a lot of points. Um, I kind of like taking the points with North North Texas there at plus 10. Um, but that's one that just kind of caught my eye, especially early on in bowl season. And then hopefully you had another one. <laughs> I, I, I do. And it's, it's another team that was a, a metrics favorite team. And um, it is Fresno state and Arizona state in the Las Vegas bowl. Nikhil Harry has declared for the NFL draft and has stated he will not be playing. So that means that Arizona State's offense will be Eno Benjamin and a whole lot of nothing else. And Fresno State is a team that is insanely underrated. And analytically, they are one of the best teams in the country. So they're at only giving four and a half points right now. That number will go up when the Nikhil Harry news spreads. If you can get them at four and a half, take it because that number is going to go up. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, that's one that I would have been uh, I would have been recommending as well. Uh, I don't have any uh, great picks for you in the early in the early ones. I I just don't even know where to go with some of those. But but one of the ones that I wanted to talk about first firstly, I just think they got kind of hosed. Uh, I feel really bad for for Washington State. Uh, <laughs> I mean they they had such a fun year. I mean we were talking about them quite a bit when they were on their run, and it really is a shame that they are forced to play in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, no offense to you San Antonians. Uh, but yeah, I just would have hoped for more. But um, they're up against Iowa State. I think it's only a four-point spread. Give me Washington State with that one. But I did feel bad for them. It would have been fun if they could have had a New Year, a New Year's Day Bowl. But the Pac-12 being what it is, very little respect given, and, uh, and possibly for good reason. I don't know. But yeah, that, that's the one I would say. One of the games, uh, one of the other games that I would maybe put some money on would be West Virginia over Syracuse. And that, that's a uh, seven point line there, but we'll get into to more of those uh, later games in a couple weeks here when we, when we're back and we'll be sure to uh, give you all your betting needs. Matt, Jordan, can you let everyone know where they can find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at J Hoover nine, seven, eight, seven. And again, my writing can be found on road of is we're uh, getting ready to start the bowl prospect series. So uh, over the next couple weeks, uh, as we move into actual bowl games, we're going to be dropping as much content as humanly possible. So check it out. And you can find me at Wispy the Kid on Twitter. And I should still be having uh, my Dynasty League scouting piece over at Rotoballer. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at StayFunLaco. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And we will be back at you probably in 
10 to 14 days with another episode, uh, depending on all of our scheduling with the holidays and bowl games and all that good stuff. But we will be back in your ear holes sooner than later. Thanks for listening. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. Pros have trusted it for over 50 years. But uh, why hire a pro when you can J.B. Weld it? J.B. Weld makes it easy to do yourself. We're proud to have J.B. Weld Adhesives as a sponsor. I personally know the owner. Hung out with these guys down at the uh, car show there. And um, I have all their products. What can I say? DIY projects, good, auto stuff, crafts, plumbing, marine, all the applications. I use a product to fix Sonny's tennis shoe, save myself some money. Stromer used it to fix his tray on his wet saw because he's doing some tile work. Different product, but all made by JB Weld. JB Weld just acquired Herculiner, the original DIY truck bed liner. So if you're looking for the world's strongest truck bed liner, Herculiner, has you covered. J.B. Weld, right, Dawson? J.B. Weld is available at jbweld.com, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, AutoZone, Advance Auto Parts, Napa, O'Reilly, Amazon, Michaels, and more. And remember, J.B. Weld epoxy products are proudly made in the USA. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.